You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Happy Christmas, everyone. Crystal Palace nil, Fulham three. What a return from the World Cup. Three points for the Whites, up to eighth place at the time of recording anyway. A fantastic Boxing Day victory down at Selhurst Park. An extremely enjoyable one for those that headed down amid all the difficulties of transportation down to South London. Well worth the trip to the wrong side of the city. And I am here to discuss everything that happens in that game and look ahead to the New Year's Eve game against Southampton. Bottom of the table, Southampton. We'll come on to that in a moment. I am joined by Stephen Sheldrake. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Good to see you again. Jack Kelly. Hello. Hello, hello. And Dan Cook. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Glad tidings. Glad tidings to everyone. Hope you all had a wonderful Christmas, uh, whatever you did, including you guys uh, listening at home. But how great to have Fulham back in our lives, especially when they play like that. Let's do some three-word reviews of yesterday's game. Dan, you've got the honours. What came in? I went to Twitter, Sammy, as always, because I prefer it to Instagram. Uh, Elon Musk's bird app. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the Elon Musk bird app. Yeah, I might move on to Instagram shortly if we. Can we uh, should we do three word reviews on Mastodon or whatever it's called now? Then maybe that's where we need to move to now. Elon's killed Twitter. Or in, 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 in tribute, we'll go to Tim Ream's new social media app that he's backing. No, I feel like that would be an appropriate appropriate homage to our man, which has been what the three word reviews were largely centered around as well. <laughs> uh, unsurprisingly, as he got his first Premier League goal, so we had Colin Bugler with Fulham in Reamland. We had Jakob Krupa taking a little pop at, at Crystal Palace fans with London's truly original. <laughs> Fulham, South Africa with Crystal Palace shattered. Spook Longley, which is a great name, with Silver Trump's Crystal, which I thought was quite clever. Mm. And finally, Jake Wilgos with That's for George. Yes, of course. Um, some lovely tributes before the game to the late George Cohen. Uh, thank you for um, a few of you who've got in touch after our George Cohen pod, which we did uh, just before Christmas Eve. Um, it was one of those podcasts that uh, we kind of hurried together, if I'm being truly honest. Um, but we thought it was worthwhile, um, given the importance, um, I think, that George Cohen had to our football club. If you've not listened to it yet, it's just one down on the feed. Um, we had Michael Heatley on, uh father of Drew um, who had met George Cohen a number of times uh, on to talk about George and yeah if you haven't listened to it it's uh, it's a little bit of a history lesson in all honesty and, and, and for someone like myself and I'm sure lots of you listening who weren't alive to see George Cohen play uh, I think we all know the name we might have all met him uh, milling around Craven Cottage but we'd never um, seen him in the flesh and what he was like as an actual player it was a really interesting insight into to what a magnificent footballer and man and gentleman he was and yeah yesterday's um, tributes um, the way that they all came 
out with that jacket on on the back uh, with Cohen 2 on. And and sometimes I feel like we, we always give plaudits rightly to players, managers. And there are a few people in the you know elements of the club that we always uh, know. But whoever came up with that idea, just a really simple, classy idea to do those jackets before the game, Cohen 2, I just think deserves some credit. So, you know, my instant thought it might be Mark Maunders, who a lot of people know. Um, he's the kind of player welfare manager. I'm not sure if it was his idea or someone else in his team, but whoever it was, kudos to you because that was a really touching tribute and sure there'll be more tributes to George um, at the Southampton game on New Year's Eve. Let's come on to the football though. And Stephen, what an afternoon in South London. Uh, you were there. How was the atmosphere at Selhurst Park? Because it looked electric. It was the best uh, atmosphere I've experienced for such a long time. And I was chatting to Jack before the pod, just saying it's so incredible going into an away day with optimism. And that's what Silver's given us, whether it was the Championship or the Premier League. It was one of those where you're standing the entire game, you're singing the entire game and the home fans are just making no noise whatsoever. Uh, and the performance, oh, just an absolute Christmas treat. Uh, I loved it. Um, a really special away day and well worth the um, ridiculously long trip. I had to get a coach at uh, four in the morning from Worthing on, on the National Express because it's Boxing Day, so no trains. Four Got in there, the morning uh, from Worthing? Yeah. Four in the morning from Worthing. Yep. Ooh, was it uh, powered by like that? Was it like the Flintstones bus or something? <laughs> what was it like? <laughs> it's literally like just really limited service. So um, God. Yeah, yeah. So uh, got to London like half seven. Got to the ground at like nine. This is all covered in the video, and um, I was literally like, "What the hell do I do?" It's around Selhurst Park for six hours. Um, obviously, went to the pub. Uh, I enjoyed this tweet, Dan, from a Crystal Palace fan. Uh, called Mark, who said, outplayed, outmuscled, outworked, outthought, outmanaged, outsung, all in all, a fucking shambles. Um, so that's what Crystal Palace fans think. And you might look at this game and think, oh, well, Palace were down to nine men, so that's why Fulham won. I think Fulham win that game 11 v 11. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think we started especially brilliantly. I think first 15, 20 minutes, we were really, really strong. And I think it was just our game plan was just was just so much better than, than Palace, more defined. I couldn't really see what Crystal Palace were trying to do in that game. They spent a lot of time sort of pinning long balls up to Wilfred Zaha, who was bullied all game by Issa Diop. I thought Issa Diop was exceptional. He handled him brilliantly. He won the physical duels. He was smarter than him. He, he got there, got to the ball first regularly. It was it was a very impressive performance again from Issa. But then in possession, I thought we were brilliant. I thought our midfield three linked up perfectly. I think they, they, they picked out the triangles. They played through what was at times a bit of a patchy Palace press, but we were just we were just better in every area across the pitch, and I completely agree. And I was I was saying it to to my dad after the game that I, I do think we win that game regardless. You know, we were one nil up already. We looked the better team, and yes, obviously it makes it easier going down to nine men, but that was a really complete performance from Fulham. You know, they didn't have a shot on target. Palace, like which is you know how often do you see that happen? Yeah. I mean, Stephen, uh, a lot of the talk before the game was about Mitrovic and, and Robinson and would they play, won't they play? I said on the last podcast, and this is not I told you so because I it was a fully hunch, I had a feeling they play. I just I kind of thought that even if Mitrovic is 80%, 
And, and it's really hard to tell if he is or not, but he still doesn't, he's still not running around maybe like we've seen in the past. But I thought there's no way Marco's not going to play him because we just look so much better with him on the pitch. Regardless, same with Anthony Robinson. I, I felt like Marco was playing it down in that press conference. Turns out that was right. And how vital it was that they were both there. It's nothing against Carlos Vinicius, but with Mitrovic on our side, even a 50% Mitrovic is sadly better than a 100% Carlos Vinicius. And that sounds mean, but that's more praising Mitrovic than discrediting Carlos Vinicius. Yeah, 100%. Uh, when I woke up, I was just thinking about if we had Vinicius uh, and no Robbo. And I was actually really worried. I didn't have a good feeling about the game. And I said, it's all about the lineup today. It's all about the lineup and how the players respond from the World Cup. You know, if there's any fatigue or if they're actually sharper because they've been playing lots more matches. And then when that lineup came out, I was just like, yeah, perfect. You know, I just felt really, really good. And, you know, it paid off. Mitrovic was involved in every goal and, and not just that, it just being an absolute nuisance as he always is, which um, we love to see, don't we? So, yeah, absolute credit to him. Yeah, and Jack Bobby got the opening goal. Uh, he's got a few of those little headers now. Um, he got one against Leeds, um, I remember. And um, a brilliant cross from Mitrovic. Palace seems absolutely adamant to give us the ball. Like they tried, they 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 gave the ball to us out of defence about three times. It was like mm. finally Yoko Anderson gave the ball away. Um, went to Mitrovic, lovely little cross, and just. Bobby Reed got found himself in between uh, Tompkins and Anderson, and um, he's quite good at those headers for for someone that's not necessarily known for their heading ability. He's uh, he's he's found he's proved a little uh, asset there uh, with his with his heading, but it's all about the cross from from Mitro. But Palace just put it on a plate for us almost, didn't they? With that first goal, they made it way too easy for us, um, and and the space and time that Mitrovic had to play that ball, and we've seen this goal before. Not only we've we seen this goal before. We've seen it on Boxing Day, Luton away, 3-3. It's the exact same goal. Bobby Reid, acres of space, header in the back of the net, 1-1 in that game, 1-0 in this game. It's a great goal. Um, and, and Mitrovic, who normally is the one who wants to feed off those sort of crosses, the one providing it. And I don't know what Jakob Anderson was doing. I think maybe he thought he was still playing for Fulham because it was just, it was just poor, very, very poor from Palace. Um, down to our press, though, which was really aggressive from, from, the, from the start. And uh, great header. And Bobby Reid, you know, you just said it. The, the contribution he's made this season in all these positions and he's suddenly, he finally starts on the wing, he scores a goal. He's been one of our most underrated players this season. But the thing is, you can say that about four, five, six, seven players in our squad. But Bobby Reid, for me, is, is right up there. You know, a player who played at Cardiff, got relegated with Cardiff, was, was sort of seen as championship fodder. And, you know... He scored a couple of goals in the lockdown season. But this season, he's really stamping his authority. And what, what's more impressive is that in a, in a squad that's so congested with wide players like James and Wilson and Willian and Cabano, he still manages to worm his way into the team, make a difference, score goals and contribute towards us getting points and, and wins. It's, it's fantastic stuff from Bobby D. Cordova-Reed. Yeah, Bobby D. Cordova-Reed, Dan. I... I remember he played on the wing a few times last season. We were getting frustrated. I remember there was a point at when we were quite good, actually, kind of March, April time. I remember he played against uh, QPR away at Loftus Road, right wing. I remember thinking, like, what's what's Marco doing here? He's not 
like we've got better options on the wing. There are better places for Bobby Decker over Reed, and he he was struggling to really like create much on the wing. He couldn't beat a man. Um, I think he was keeping um, it was he was keeping Neeskins out the team on the left hand side. The right hand side though, he looks so comfortable. He's he's regularly beating a man. He was getting lots of crosses in the box yesterday, combining well with Kenny Tete, and. If you'd have told me at the beginning of the season that our first choice wingers, <laughs> that it, 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 we're going to be Willian and Decker Dover Reed by this point, I thought, crap, we must be like 19th or something. Like, what? Uh, but just miss, and he, he links up so well with Mitrovic. And it's not quite a little and large partnership, but it, it, they do just seem to have a, a good little understanding together. And um, I think just great for a player that. You threaten to just be one of those that um, maybe his his the, his the ability to be a utility player and play all sorts of positions. I sometimes wonder was was his downside. I'd love to see him get a, a proper run out at right wing, which I think, apart from maybe I think if you ask Bobby Reed where would he like to play, he'd probably say he'd like to play somewhere in the middle. But actually, I think he's really enjoying his football on the right wing. It'd be great now to see him get a run because he's also got goals in him, which is a real asset off the wing. Yeah, I think his goal yesterday was was a, it shows what he's used to the position he's used to playing in which is before he joined Fulham that sort of second striker role where he was very good at stealing into the area he's you know he doesn't lead the line but he's very good at playing off someone else and I think that's one of the things that's his biggest plus is that intelligence that he's got in his movement I think he really is very good at picking up areas of the pitch which are awkward for the opposition you see it off that right wing as well he's good at drifting inside he uses Kenny Tete brilliantly and I, I'd quite like to see him sort of tucked inside every now and then a bit more because I think he's, he's he's dangerous there and that ability to probably get past Mitrovic in the same way that Pereira does. I think he's probably almost the most natural replacement for Pereira if he's not playing in that 10 role. But I think wherever you play him, you get the same levels of performance, which is insane because there is very little similarity between all of the positions that he's asked to play for us, yet he still manages to churn out you know, seven out of tens and above on a regular basis. And yeah. it's really nice to see because I remember when he first joined that first season in the championship, it was ages until he got his first goal. Like yeah. he kept on getting really close repeatedly and it took forever. And and now you're looking at four goals this season already, which is, is a very good return for a man who's played six games at right back. <laughs> and, and yeah, I think there's very little reason to see any change in our our wings at the moment when Willian continues to to sort of pull those strings and and, and Bobby is now freed up because Kenny's back at right back. I, I think that's probably our, our first choice pairing at the moment, and Harry Wilson's going to have to do something to get in, which is nuts. Yeah, I I, I can't believe this situation. And you've got Mana Solomon weeks away as well. Like, I mean, there's going to be scraps at Mottsburg Park for places on the wing, isn't there? Like, how are they going to decide it? It's um, it's it's. I mean, obviously with uh, with Neeskins being injured I guess like there is a bit of a gap there now and um, you know obviously we'd love to have Neeskins on the pitch but it is it is fortunate that we um, do have a, a plethora of uh, of different options um, Steve in the red card what was the view from the stands I must admit watching on the telly for a second I thought Kenny Tete got sent off and I was like oh no we just scored and now Kenny Tete's been sent off it wasn't immediately clear um, and then yeah it was obviously quite obvious quite quickly that it was Tyra Mitchell that, um, that got sent off. I mean, for me, I mean, from, from the telly, it's Stonewall. I just wonder what the view is from the stands because sometimes it can be quite confusing, those challenges, because you don't really see what happens. Oh, no, exactly, Sammy. I was the same as you. Um, 
it was slightly off the ball. So there was this kind of um, this collision. And then I was like, oh, no. Who, like st- people started cheering. I was like, no way, is Tete getting sent off here? Like I literally don't know what's going on. And I was checking my foot mob ad, like refreshing it. And then, of course, yeah, see Dan- uh, Mitchell get sent off and we're all ecstatic because at that point, you know, we're completely in the ascendancy and it really was the double hammer blow. You know, we're feeling good. Can we hold on to it? Then the red card comes. You're like, ah, actually, it's our day. You know, we've had plenty of matches where things haven't gone our way. Um, you know, West Ham away was just a perfect example of that. And it's strange because as Fulham fans, we're we're not used to like referees just giving things our way and actually giving us a bit of, you know, um, uh, generosity, I think. You know, I, I, I've watched the replay a few times and it's still, it's still uh, like, so he, you know, Mitchell's got his studs up uh, and it's, it's dangerous, but I still like find it as a bit of a weird tumble between the players. It's not the most like... Uh, like violent of red cards I've ever seen. But I think it's one of those ones where clearly the ref had a good view of it. Um, and it was just a bit of bad timing and, and um, just put the nail in the coffin for those Palace fans, really. Uh, mm. and, and from then on, it was it was um, celebration time for Fulham. It was just about getting that second as soon as possible. Um, but yeah, thanks, Mitchell. We, we appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Fulham after that, I think Palace tried to you know, looked okay with 10 men. I was thinking like there still could be a goal in this for Palace and I could still see Palace nicking a draw even with 10, you know, home support and stuff. Then in the second half, Jack, um, Tompkins, James Tompkins, he's deputising for Mark Gay. He hadn't played since last Boxing Day and I think we could have maybe seen why. Um, a weird red card. And I know it's second yellow, like it's not an instant red, but I'm going to edge on the fact I'm still not 100% sure he... I I, I don't know. I, I, I Look, I was genuinely happy that it was a red card. Obviously, it completely turned the game. And if there was any chance of a Palace comeback, it was gone after that. I didn't really see why it was a yellow. I, I, I But everyone seems to think it's clear cut. So I'm not going to argue with it. But I didn't realise he knew Mitrovic was there. Or do you think he did? Well, this is what I've been sort of debating in my head for the last hour or so I've watched a match of the day this morning and I feel as though that he puts his arm up when he knows that Mitrovic so he must feel Mitrovic's presence I mean if you if you felt someone running behind you or at least near you would feel that whether you're on the street whether you're on a football pitch I can feel I can feel Mitrovic's presence from a long way away well there we go yeah literally and it it's not like why would he why else would he put his arm up like that is it to try and protect the ball? Is it... But if he feels him coming, he puts the arm up and then he sort of... It doesn't really make contact with the face. I think it's dark arts from Mitrovic. I will say that. I think he's over-egged it. It is a strange one, isn't it? And I will I just, say this. I've never seen it. I, it's, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, Dan. It was just really... No, it was weird. Weird. And, and Mitrovic wasn't getting to that pass. Like, it, no. Mark Gahey was going to clear it. It wasn't like Mitrovic, yeah, would have maybe got a... It was a bit of a dodgy back pass, but it wasn't so bad that it was um, a clear-cut opportunity for Mitrovic. I mean, I take it all day long. I'm not here complaining. I just was like... And um, I was watching it with um, my wife's granddad, who is a loose Palace supporter, but he was baffled by it. And I was there like, you know, I can't really explain that one, Graham. <laughs> It was it was weird. They, they they'd done it a couple of times throughout the game. James Tompkins had done that. It's always that smart thing of just trying to give Gaeta a little bit more time with his clearance, so he doesn't have a a striker bearing down on him, just using his body a bit. 
And I don't think he means to sort of elbow him in the face, but that ends up what's happening. Well, the thing I found weird is that I was watching the referee as it happened and he, he immediately shook his head and sort of waved, waved it away and then blew his whistle. And so I, I feel like it can't have been him who gave it and it must have been the linesman must have said something because Andy Madley was pretty certain when it first happened that there was nothing doing there from where where I was sat it looked like it probably looked worse than it did in the replay like it really did look like a deliberate sort of jut of the elbow into the face it's silly just in general like if you're on a if you're on a yellow card at that point your team's one down you're already down to 10 men I don't think that's a bit it sort of stinks of a man who's been bullied all game in his first game back for a year. And he's just trying to lay one on Mitrovic slightly just to try and rile him up. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it was obviously um, a huge shot in the arm um, for us. I don't think we're going to be seeing James Tompkins uh, play too much more for Crystal Palace after that. I forgot I he existed, Sammy. I, I actually forgot he existed. <laughs> There's a few players that Palace have like that, that I'm just like, are you still a footballer? Like, Joel you Ward. S- yeah. Yeah. Even Nathaniel Klein. And yeah. He, he should have got mm. booked yesterday as well. There's just a few of them at Palace. And there's no disrespect to them. They've got some fantastic players as well. It's just a bit like, are you still going? <laughs> like, what? How has that happened? Um, but yeah, it was it was obviously a boost. Uh, quiz time. The last time that Fulham played against nine men because of two sendings off. I don't know Ooh. if there was like a stat for injuries. And I asked Farrell about this at the game because in my head, the last time I could remember is Juventus. And I, 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 Farrell felt like the sort of person who would know anything that happened in the preceding 12 years. Is it Manchester United? We won 3 0? I, so I did a search earlier. It is Juventus. It's the oh. last time that two oh, opposition wow. players got sent <laughs> off. But shortly before the season before, it happened against Man United when Scholes <laughs> and Rooney got sent off. And Liverpool um, as well, didn't it? <laughs> on, on Halloween. That was in 2009, I think. Yes, I think you might be right. I haven't actually checked that one. I I, I got as far as wow. Juventus and stopped. Um, remembered the United one. I think you might be right on the Liverpool one. I'm going to have to check that. But um, yeah, uh, but so odd. Like even that, you know, both that United one, uh, the Juventus one, where you know this, that second sending off happens in the 90th minute. I think both times it doesn't really affect the game. But Stephen, what a weird situation to be in with half an hour left. You're playing nine men one nil up, and I was like. Okay, sure. I was like, even Fulham, even Fulham, <laughs> surely can't mess this up from here. Um, there was one moment where Elise went through <laughs> and it was two on two. And I was wondering how the hell has this transpired? Unfortunately, um, Reem got the block in. But other than that, it was plain sailing from there on in, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was hilarious watching Tompkins. He was so angry about his first yellow. And then you watch the replay on Match of the Day and he's trying to undress Mitrovic, who's pulling his clothes off so hard. <laughs> Oh, Mitrovic absolutely had him in his pocket and you could see he was a man who hadn't, you know, started a match of football for a year and then his first challenge is right, come up against the Serbian beast that is Mitro and it's just cruel really, isn't it? Um, You know, uh, or a chance to prove himself, I guess, but um, because, you know, Mitro did that amazing skill, uh, like not making him from defence and and beating him so he pulls him back, which again is a bit unnecessary for that first yellow. Um, and at the at the ground, when I saw the incident, I was like, "Oh my goodness, what are you doing, Mitro? Like you're you're completely milking this." And it was a bit like, "Where's that come from?" And then the second yellow comes, I'm like, "Oh, there there must have been some sort of contact." But having watched it on match of the day, um, I actually think there's enough intent in there that he's he's trying to rile Mitro up, and he's been baited basically. Um, 
and it's all like Jack says, it's the dark arts, definitely. And, you know, hopefully he doesn't get too, Mitra doesn't get too much of a reputation for going down all the time and that works against him. But then, when you know, when you've got VAR and things like that, that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, an absolute joy. Um, I can't believe it's been since Juventus that we played against nine men. That's absolutely bonkers. But, you know, we are playing so well that we're, we're breaking those kind of records, you know? So, um I might, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. By the way, Ooh. it was a, it, it was a half, it was a it was a half-hearted check, um, and also there could be <laughs> times where we played against nine men in terms of like there was an injury, like uh, you know when they'd made three oh, yeah, subs yeah. or something. But two sendings off anyway. Um, Dan, yeah, this is going to sound slightly ridiculous, but I thought. <laughs> I thought we were really good against nine men, just in the sense of like, we are, we, but we're the sort of team that we are, because we're so comfortable in possession and we've got players who love having the ball and dictating play. You know, you bring on Tom Kearney and it's literally like the the most ideal moment. I think if he could pick a game scenario to come into, it's in a game where he doesn't have to defend and is allowed to just walk the ball about the pitch. And we just controlled it completely. We used the the width really well. That extra man, you know, both Anthony Robinson and Kenny Tete were were able to provide that extra width because they don't have that defensive support. And we just played it like a practice game, and it was really good fun to watch. And I mean, even even at one nil with nine men, we were sort of playing it like it was the end of the season. We were four nil up, and it mm. is it was great Fulham vibes it really did feel like a either an end of season party or a first game of the season party because we've been without football for so long it was really lovely yeah um Jack uh Tim Ream got the second goal how exciting Tim Ream finally scores a Premier League goal uh, all the stats have come out around this he's the fourth uh Fulham American to score in the Premier League after Carlos Bocanegra, Yeehaw, Brian McBride, and uh, and uh, and Clint Dempsey. Um, so uh, Andy Robinson now needs to score one more, and then we'll have matched Everton, who have five Americans that have scored goals in the Premier League. Uh, I saw with a stat, uh, and uh, I got this uh, DM from uh, listener Clayton Bricklemeyer, who says, "For the good of order, Men in Blazers, which is a big uh, US soccer uh, podcast, uh, just called Ream." The the Mizu Zizu, which I love, and I can I can get on board with the Mizu Zizu um, as his new nickname. But anyway, Ream with a big second goal and um, a new contract to boot. Like, can it get any better for Tim Ream? I mean, he's going to win the lottery this week. Other than that, I don't know how his life can get any better right now. It's incredible, isn't it? And and not only that, you know, you look at the last month. He played very, very well at the World Cup. Didn't really put a foot wrong, um, especially in the group stages. Um, played in that friendly against um, West Ham uh, at left back, then came into obviously centre-back against Palace and played well, got a clean sheet and then got the goal as well. And it was a really well-taken goal. So on the turn, that's not an easy finish at all. I know he said in his post-match that he just hit it as hard as he could, which basically meant it could have either gone in the net or out the stadium. Um, but it was very, very good finish. Um I was really nervous about the VAR check, especially when, you know, when the referee goes over to the monitor, you sort of think it's going to get either overturned and it's going to be lots of sadness. But um, I liked the way in which Jim Rosenthal, after the game on Prime, he sort of like told Ream why the goal was given because it came off Mitch Richard's arm and he was the one who didn't score. It was it was obviously Tim Ream. And then the new contract as well. It's incredible, isn't it? Um, and it's fully deserved. He's genuinely aging like a fine wine. <laughs> um, and it seemed it's remarkable. Um, 
you know, will he play every single game of next season wherever we, we lie? We don't know, but he probably could. He probably could. There's no reason why he couldn't. And um, it's amazing. It's genuinely, it's one of those incredible redemption, not really a redemption story as such, but it's... Uh, it's kind it's of is. I, th- I think it is. It, it is? kind of okay. is. I mean, um, we got this question, by the way. So we put a questions tweet out last night about nine o'clock. Uh, and Cody Gerrard asks this at 9.37. Obviously, Ream isn't part of our long-term future just because of his age, but we have to try and sign him t- for an extension for at least the next year, right? You can't not keep someone who is playing as well as he is, surely. So that's at 9.37. And sure. then the club announced a contract for Tim Ream at 10.33. So within the hour of Cody asking that question, Fulham got down to business um so well done cody um for, for that but yeah dan new contract for tim ream it had to be done had to be done there was no for me there was no debate i saw like a i think white noise did a poll and it was about 95 percent yes like should tim ream get an extension of course he should like why why would why the hell wouldn't we extend him with the way he's playing yeah he's been exceptional and he's formed a really really nice partnership with this adiop and I think there's there's a lovely cohesion as well between Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson on that left flank. I think it works really, really well. I think they sort of complement each other quite nicely. And you've got to just, uh, for the moment, I think for any doubters, you just take age out of it and you just look at the performance he's putting on the pitch. He is entirely deserving of a new contract. He is our foot one, you know, one of our two first choice centre-backs at the moment. And there's absolutely no reason why we don't renew his contract. And I think with the age thing, you see it's, it's interesting players, there's sort of differing ways in players develop and grow. And, you know, you get some players who tail off really quite early and it tends to be those players who peaked quite young and, were, you know, broke through at a very young age. Whereas actually you think over the past, let's say the past four years, Tim Reeves has been sort of on and off a little bit in and out of the team. And he's maybe got a little bit more in his legs than, than a, you know, a 32 year old has, who's been playing full seasons for the past four years. And it, you can tell he just looks really comfortable. It's the best we've ever seen him. And it's just, just great, isn't it? Like, and there was a lovely moment when we, when he scored where the cheers quite quickly just turned into Ream. Like people just just chanting Ream, which was yeah. just I've never seen that. It was it was like a weird like when Cristiano Ronaldo celebrates, and everyone does the yeah. sue. It's like it was it was beautiful. Everyone does the Ream. Yeah, I mean, um, Jack has said this on the podcast, and um, I think it comes from his ranks podcast. But he says like we shouldn't judge footballers by their age. Like you wouldn't write off a car because of its age. Generally, cars are done on mileage. And it's kind of the same with footballers, right? And and Tim Ream, you know, has been spared for quite a number of years, wasn't used that whole Scott Parker season. He barely played a minute in the Premier League. He's had years off um, and, and just right now doesn't even remotely look close to retiring. I mean, some of the play as well. There was a moment yesterday, I believe, um, in the first half. And it was, this wasn't when Palace were down to nine, by the way, where... I mean, it's, it's it's just it's just classic Ream. He he beats, uh, I think, Elise to the ball, and then was just really calm in possession. Got rid of it. We Fulham were under pressure. You know, there was that moment when uh, you know Elise he blocked the shot. You're just always quite confident in Tim Ream. And right now, I mean, it's 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 a remarkable story. A remarkable how when we got promoted, you know, it's going to be who's going to be alongside Tosin, and that Tim Ream's going to be a bit of a backup and. 
Right now, I just don't know when Tim Ream stops. And I don't know if we should really be needing to ask the question right now because he looks nowhere near. Yeah. I think highlight of the day yesterday, Sammy, which I don't know how much this would have been picked up on telly, but Wilf Saha had a big old head loss. Like he had one of his moments where he completely lost his head at the Fulham fans while they were jeering him. And it was beautiful. But then about five minutes later, a ball goes long to him where he thinks he's going to sort of go for a little aerial duel with Tim Ream and he just steps off him. Wilf Zaha runs about 10 yards in the wrong direction and Tim Ream just sort of sweeps up and jogs off with the ball. And it was just such a beautiful moment because there's nothing better than Wilfred Zaha losing his head and then to get mugged off by Tim Ream. It was so beautiful. Yeah. Um, A third goal, uh, Stephen. Mitrovic finally got himself on the score sheet. Two assists um, and then uh, finally got himself uh, a goal. Uh, 15 point haul yesterday in uh, in FPL. Uh, So if you had (laughs) Mitrovic in your team, then uh, then things were looking pretty sweet. Um, He deserved his goal. We talked a little bit about him earlier. Uh, Silver said afterwards as well that an 80% Mitrovic is you know, still worth playing on the pitch. Um, And now up to double figures. But of course, can he still do it in the Premier League, even though he's got double (laughs) figures in this league twice? It really just goes to show, doesn't it, how important your coaching staff is. And I haven't had this feeling since Roy Hodgson, where we had a series of players that I thought were absolutely just rubbish, like, like, um, you know, Chris Baird, um before Hodgson I was just like how's this guy playing football and like Aaron Hughes was very quiet yeah. but then when Roy Hodgson came in and brought in a system that was really clear and everyone's roles were very defined suddenly you know Aaron Hughes then went on to become a club legend like uh, and I think Silver does that with you know mainly our attacking players you know we talked about Bobby um and Cabano has been the best he's been for us under Silver um, but it also, it, it goes back to defence. And I, I want to give Silver so much credit for, um, you know, sticking with Ream when, in the Championship. We were surprised when it, he was put straight back in the team. And it's his place now. Uh, and Mitrovic is thriving in this attacking system. He's playing around Mitro, um, which is good. Um, and as long as Mitro's being coached correctly, then this is what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, that goal was his just rewards yesterday against a... Uh, poor nine-man palace that were probably exhausted um and he, he was giving them absolute headaches and he has that magical ability to have a bad day and be the difference in a game once or twice by winning penalties winning free kicks and you know that cross yesterday was exceptional like they said on match today he, he sent in a cross that he'd want to be on the end of uh, he made it you know as easy as possible for bobby and then great to see william get an assist it's slightly quite a game for him so it was really nice to see him uh, bag and assist and of course Mitro does what Mitro does best and he, he leaps up like a salmon and pounces on that ball and uh, yeah leaves Palace fans in despair which was a, a absolutely beautiful thing to experience. Um, there's a tweet uh, based on that Stephen from Mark Maunders who I mentioned earlier he's the player care manager at Fulham and uh, he said judge a coach by player improvement think Roy, Slav, Tagana, Stock, McDonald tell Tim Ream and Mitrovic in summer 2021 that they established themselves as Premier League mainstays and give immense World Cup performances they would be overjoyed kudos to both the guys and the genius that is Marco um, speaking and you mentioned Roy as well I mean Amazon Prime might as well have just I, I could have watched <laughs> that post-match um, lineup they had. There was one moment where they had um, Jim Rosenthal, who's the 
presenter, you had Marco Silva, Tim Ream, Roy Hodgson and Steve Sidwell. I was like, God, now that's a dinner party I'd like to be a part of right there. <laughs> it was... It, it was like Fulham heaven and um, Roy and Marco talking to each other. And you can see the respect that Marco has for Roy. And you can see the respect that Roy has for kind of Marco, this young protege, um, you know, someone that's probably a bit in his mold um, in terms of managerial um, credibility. And um, there was a moment at the end, it wasn't, it didn't really get picked up too well, where I think Marco was inviting Roy to, come down to Motspur Park. It wasn't 100% clear what Marco was actually offering him, but just even the fact that he wanted to kind of, I think he wanted to hang out with Roy. I think that's basically what <laughs> we were saying. It was basically um, because of the um, the Southampton game on New Year's Eve, we're going to obviously do something really nice for George Cohen to commemorate him. And Roy Hodgson was basically saying that he would like to be invited down to the cottage to uh, watch that game and be a part of those um, tributes and Marcus Silva just basically said, we'll sort it out for you. We'll get you down to the cottage um, for the game. And it was really sweet, a really incredible moment. I, I watched that interview back last night. And like you say, the, well, what I, the thing about Marcus Silva is, you know, in the press conference last week um, or earlier this week, he was talking about George Cohen and w- with intelligence. He, he spoke about it like he knew his role at the club, um, player and post career as well. And then the same with Roy Hodgson. He knew what Roy Hodgson had done for Fulham. And Marcus Silva is now in a situation where he's been at this club for you know a year and a half. And um, he's basically got to know the whole club inside and out. And that's reflecting through all his interviews. Um, and he always mentions the relationship with the fans as well. And I think we, we don't really talk about it enough about how we feel about Marco Silva as our manager um, because we've had so many great managers over the years that we've adored and so many managers over the years that we just have not adored, completely opposite. And, um, you know, you, you talk about uh, Slav days, you know, promotion. I think Marco Silva surpasses him now in terms yeah. of the love I feel for him. Uh, and then obviously the likes of Roy Hodgson will forever be a legend, Tigana, of course, as well. And... I just love Marco Silva. I think he's absolutely great. Um, and he's doing wonders with not only Fulham in the Championship, but Fulham in the Premier League, uh, touch wood, because uh, there's still a long way to go. This bond that we have with this team, with Marco as a manager, is, you know, it very much is a two-way thing. And, and Marco deserves, I think it's 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 so, it's not important, but nice that to see a manager who really comes into a club and really just buys into the whole thing. And he wants to understand where this club has come from. You know, he's he's got his plans for where he wants to go, but he he has a complete understanding of like the history behind the club, which I think is so important. And you see that when he's, you know, being interviewed by Roy Hodgson, and he's almost like we would be if we were interviewing Roy Hodgson. Like he had that same level of adoration in that moment, and that sort of awe of like, wow, this guy's a real figure in this club's history. And, and I think that it's helped so much that 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 love that there, there is around the club. It's just such a happy place to be. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. Sensational. Um, it really is what Marco's done and achieved and, um, you know, having Louis Bow amongst him as well. I think he was the only one missing from that, uh, that dinner party really that would have, uh, topped it off. I think that we could have, uh, that could have got out there. I don't think Amazon would have had enough microphones for Louis Bow as well, but yeah, all in all, what a performance, what a day. Uh, we're going to take a break there. We've got loads of your questions to get stuck into. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Stephen Sheldrake, Dan Cook and Jack Kelly. Uh, Thank you very much to all of you guys uh, who are continuing to support Fulhamish in the Fulhamish community, uh, which is hosted on Telegram. Uh, If you want to get involved and help us uh, keep making the pods that we're making, uh, please do take a look at fulhamish.co.uk forward slash support, um, or there is a link in the description of this podcast. Uh, We are immensely grateful to those people uh, who are part of the community. It's also just an awesome place uh, to hang out so if you'd like to support us uh, then please do but if you can't or you don't want to then no worries all the pods stay free anyway uh, let's um, move on to some correspondence uh, I'm going to start with this one from uh, Tom uh, his Twitter name is Armitage Shanks um, <laughs> and I feel a bit bad here because um, he sent us a DM in April uh, that f- we clearly missed. And so I'm sorry, but I'll read it now because Tom basically um, must have had a crystal ball out. He said, question for the pod. There's been almost weekly talk of Tim Ream being replaced at the end of the season following promotion, but he's arguably been our best centre-back. In fact, there's a case to be made for him being one of the best centre-backs in the league. Yes, physically, he is probably lacking, but he rarely loses a header. Every clearance is actually a pass as well, and he reads the game better than any other player in the side. Do we need to start considering him as a Premier League starter for next season? Personally, I do. Interested to get your thoughts. So he brought it back up, said... um, Mystic Tom uh, DM me for my pod appearance fee at Fulhamish Pod. I then asked, did we address it at all? And he said, no, we didn't even read it out. So here is your moment, Tom. In fact, we don't need to answer your question. You have been proven completely right and your check is in the post. So um, so well done to Tom, uh, first of all, for, uh, yeah, I mean... We, we've, we've debated Tim Ream long and hard already, but I think we all know now that Tim Ream's position as a Premier League centre-back is uh, is absolutely crystal clear. Uh, let's move on to some questions. Um, Justin Miller says, obviously a lot of talk about potential signings and incoming loans for January, but do we think anyone on the squad will be leaving either on loan or permanently? Um, Stephen, um, your thoughts on, on who could be exiting? For me, the only one really I think is quite clear is... Um, in Babu, I think uh, Chalaba will be leaving 100% because if Marco Silva doesn't drop his bromance and I think the fans are going to slowly drag him from his collar into a frame at QPR or something like that. Do you think he'll definitely leave though or do you think he might just <laughs> continue being a, just, a, just a sub basically? No, realistically he probably will because we're so light in that area in terms of backup um, uh, and Marco clearly has a bit of respect for him so he, he may not go but if he does I think the fans would probably be a bit relieved uh, and Babu that's really you know it's really interesting because we've been linked with a lot of right backs and if they come to fruition then Mbappé's place in the side is is very limited uh, my brother mentioned that he he might make a good winger and, and to be fair uh, offensively he's he's not a bad player he we saw sparks of that in the preseason and in one of the first games where he set up Mitro very nicely uh, with with a good couple of crosses but clearly, defensively, something's gone wrong there, which is it's quite baffling because, you know, to play for Wolfsburg, you'd expect a certain level of 
you know, ability. So I think we've all been very surprised and disappointed by that one. Uh, I think the main thing for Fulham, it's not about hauling in a load of signings like, you know, it's going to float around all these rumours. It's about getting a strong central midfielder as backup for when Payne or Reed, um, you know, get too many bookings or an injury. And it's about, I mean, you know, even when Tete's injured, Bobby just fills in. So I wouldn't even say right back's the most important position. Um, and then maybe you look at a Mitro backup or something. But to be honest, I think we're very well equipped and we just keep on going. And like you say, Mbabu, Chalaba, maybe Onoma might be some faces we see leave the club. I don't think there's going to be wholesale changes. I think right back is clearly an area that we're looking at. The Cedric Suarez rumours look pretty um, clear cut in terms of like Fulham are clearly interested and there's clearly interest back um, of Suarez joining Fulham. But um, elsewhere, I, I think maybe there might be an answer to the striker problem. I, it'd be interesting to see what happens with Moon is. Now he's definitely not getting a look in at all at Middlesbrough. Does he get recalled and maybe they find a different club for him or maybe he gets an opportunity on the bench for Fulham? Um, we'll wait and see. But I'd be surprised if there's wholesale changes other than, you know, someone like um, Tony Khan sensing an opportunity out there in the market and, and doubling down on the position that we've got, which is obviously strong at the moment. Um, let's move on to this question from Ryan. I'll go to you on this one, Dan. He says, thoughts, comments on Mitro's positioning against Palace. Seems like he was in the midfield a whole lot more. Yeah. I mean, he, he does, he's done, does this a lot in general, this sort of linking of the play, dropping a bit deeper. I think part of that also may be to do with sort of fitness levels there at times when the ball was, you know, Palace were incredibly quick to give the ball away at times yesterday. And sometimes when we dropped into our shape, you know, Mitrovic drops a bit deeper out of possession and then we win the ball back and suddenly we're flying upfield again. I think there was, there was, Marco mentioned that there was some element of energy conservation going on from Mitro. But I think this is where, this is, this is his all round game. This is him as a striker. I think people at times who don't watch him enough, unfairly lumping him in as a poacher, he's far far, far much more than that. And and I think he's, an, he, I call him a central pivot. That's what I sort of see him as in this Fulham side, which is his ability to link that sort of midfield to to our first wave of attack. He, he sits in that centre circle sometimes and he's just sort of that linchpin. He sits there, balls get fed into him. He finds a way, which very few other strikers can, to hold the ball up and then distribute. And then, you know, you get it out wide, you, you bring your wingers into play, you get it to and- Andreas Pereira. I thought he was he was brilliant again. He's not quite there. I think he is still slightly off it. Yeah, 80% is probably fair enough. But it causes a lot of problems for opposition teams because as a centre-back, what do you do in that situation if you see the striker you're meant to be man-marking sort of 10, 15 yards away from you, receiving the ball in between those defensive lines? It causes chaos. And I like it as a positioning. He maybe needs to work on getting into the box a bit quicker at times, but I think that might come with the fitness again because there are times when the ball gets shifted out to Bobby Reed yesterday and he looks up and there was no one in the box. But I think that's just fitness levels in general. Yeah. Um, Jack, we've got so much, so many questions about um, Bobby Reed, um, Bobby decoyed over Reed. I'll read a couple of them out. Chris Inman says, is BDR the most underappreciated FFC player in the last... 10 years 
Um, Ishan says, does Bobby get overlooked? Most versatile and consistent player. Been with us a while, but Wilson got all the plaudits last year. Currently, I'd take Bobby over Wilson all day. And then we got this email uh, from Alex Jones. He says, Kia Aura from New Zealand. Why does Bobby do so well in the Prem scoring-wise compared to the Championship? This season's success so far seems to question the idea that he's more successful in a counter-attacking team. Um, so, yeah, um, some just words on Bobby. I know we touched on it earlier, but it is interesting, though, how he does seem to thrive in the top flight. And yet he was one of those last year, a bit like Anthony Robinson as well, who, who struggled a bit in the championship. But look, he still got a hell of a lot of goals and he still put in some shifts, but he seems he seems more natural at this level, which is which is quite weird. You could even harp it back to the lockdown season where, you know, Scott Parker played him in, in, in at right back at times in a back five when we played that system. He just seems to do whatever the manager wants him to do. and He doesn't really have an issue with it. I'm sure if Marco Silva said, you're going to play at centre-back for the next game against Southampton, he'd probably take it on. And It is remarkable, isn't it? And, and players like that are so underappreciated. And obviously, with last season, it was all about Mitrovic and the goals he got 43. But Bobby Reid... You know, did contribute. He did play well, um, but obviously the, the new signing of Harry Wilson meant he was the main player to play on that side of the of the midfield uh, because of the money he came in for, or the supposed fee that we we uh, we we bought him for. But this season, it, I think he's w- way more respected by the Fulham ba- fan base after the contributions he made last season, the season before, and the fact of the matter is, I didn't really expect him to get many minutes when we brought in Willian and Dan James and um, Manuel Solomon. But like I said earlier, here we are again, all these wingers and he's the one getting minutes, he's the one getting goals like he did yesterday. It, I don't really know what more I could say about it. It's it's quite incredible um, and he deserves it. You know, absolutely. His performances are just magnificent. Um, his link-up plays really come on as well and to score goals at this level is difficult consistently and we're seeing him contribute very, very well. And um, I do wonder now whether a team in in the Premier League, like a Southampton, like a Everton, mm. might want to, might be interested in him. But, but I think he's such a unique player, uh, which fits our system very, very well. I don't think he'll be going anywhere anytime soon, which is great news for us. Yeah. Um- Stephen, this one from Chris Harris. Great little stat. Um, He says, our form against the other 14 this season, so basically all teams outside the top six, I don't know if that's including Newcastle or not. I think it's not including Newcastle. Um, Says, is one six, drawn three, lost one. He says, should we be looking to recalibrate our target league position? Should we be aiming for the top half? I mean, I think yesterday's win for me was a was a really important one in terms of the league table. I think you lose yesterday and I think you're really starting to look over your shoulder. Those teams are only six points behind. Now there's a nine point gap, which look not insurmountable or, um, you know, certainly not we're uh, completely uh, infallible in that position. But, you know, we're on to 22 points. We've not even halfway through the season and we've got this brilliant record against all but the top six. It said one defeat, that West Ham game, which even shouldn't have been a defeat. So really... You could argue, make a good argument that Fulham should be unbeaten almost against the other teams in the league, which are who we are facing. Now, that will obviously get worse through the season. We won't keep this up quite to that standard, you wouldn't have thought. But I don't know. Are you, are you 
recalibrating your target position. Obviously, we would all want 17th and we would all take it right now. But you've got to be looking at this table and me thinking, I'd take 17th. But, you know, I think it would be a bit of a disappointment from here to finish 17th. But I'd still take it. But this team can get top 10. Yeah, I'm going to say stuff that's going to make every Fulham fan uncomfortable now. It's, it's a really um, horrible conversation. It's like yeah, you have, we're, having to, we're having to have the chat right now. Someone's going um, to have to bring this up at some point that I think we're slightly better than a struggling, surviving Premier League team. And we're not used to it. It's been so long. Uh, look at the squad. Look at the coaching team. Look at the results. Even the ones against the top six t- sides, we were always one goal in it. So that game against Manchester United with Garnacho scoring that last minute goal was really unlucky before the break. We, of course, had the Man City drama with that De Bruyne penalty incident. We were in all of those games, giving those top sides a really tough time, uh, which is why I relished the match against Chelsea or double match coming very soon. There is absolutely no reason that we can't be looking at 8th to 10th in this season based on how we've been so far. Newcastle is a new anomaly where we, we may become this top seven sides eventually just because they're so rich. Outside of that, why can't we be the best team? Um, new Year's Eve presents a huge opportunity where we could be looking at 25 points in 17 games, guys. I mean, just imagine that going into the new year. The, the level of confidence, the points behind the team, and then the January transfer window to make little tweaks where we feel is necessary. I think it's time to be optimistic. I said to you before the game yesterday, Sammy, that I was feeling quite optimistic and that feels really weird as a Fulham fan. Mm. Uh, but luckily it was it was correct, you know, yesterday. And I think it's time for us to start start getting excited and start enjoying ourselves because you never know how long these things are going to last. So uh, yeah, I think just embrace it, guys. Dan, I like to come to you as kind of my, my sounding board sometimes. Like, and I remember it happened a few times in the champion. You were the first person, you were one of the first people to say when, not if last year. I remember that. And I remember there was a few games last year where I was like, I'm a bit nervous about playing this team. And you were like, no, don't be nervous about playing Swansea. They're flipping all over the place. <laughs> so generally, I think you've got a fairly good measure of where we are. And you, you, it's not, it's more guided by data rather than emotion. Where's a good finish now for this Fulham team? Has, has, has it gone above 17th or nothing for you? A good finish is still 17th because that's all we want. But, but a, and a, well, okay, no. An acceptable finish is 17th. I think a good, a good finish is, yeah, we're starting to look above that. I think, you know, if, if we can, if we can sit above, given what we've done this season, if we sit above 14th, I would say, if we can be, you know, somewhere in that region, getting to what you would call mid-table as opposed to bottom half, I think that's that's a, a really good return from this point. I think this coming January is a really interesting transfer window because this is, as you mentioned, what we do in January, I think, signals what we what our ambitions are as a club. This is a real opportunity right now where... A lot of the, the, as we refer to them as the other 14, who were traditionally relatively strong and usually are vying, you know, you get four or five teams vying for what will be that Europa Conference League spot and a couple of positions below have been quite weak. And so there's a little bit of an opening there where we've got ground on on some of the other, the, 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 the traditionally bigger teams that sit outside the top six. And if we double down, if we actually push on here, 
because I do think that there's a there's a harsh reality to one or two injuries from this point. There's we've still got massive problems, and 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 we would be worried. You know, if we were to find out that Mitrovic was out for the rest of the season or Joao Polinho was out for the rest of the season, we'd start to be looking over our shoulders again. And so I think this is an opportunity now to really try and kick on. You know, we've, we've looking at players like Pablo Maya, who I think would come in and, and, and you'd see that as a an opportunity to have a backup to Palinha and also bleed someone into the Premier League at a young age. You know, he's only 20. Yes, we'd like someone instead of Carlos Vinicius as a backup striker. I don't know how feasible it is. But yeah, to, to answer the question, yeah, anywhere in that what would classify as mid-table, I think would be exceptional from us, especially given where I think the other two promoted teams are going to end up this season. We are really streets ahead of them. The narrative of this season in the summer, you know, Fulham got promoted and all the boring people were like, oh, that's them relegated again and very, very boring and whatever. But since the start of the season, we have not been in any sort of relegation battle. We, we drew to, to Liverpool in the opening day. We then drew to Wolves on two points. Then we suddenly sit on five from three. The only time I would genuinely say like, oh, maybe we're in a bit of trouble here is when we lost the last two games before the World Cup, six points by the relegation zone. We have so quietly and calmly and confidently gone about our business this season. Uh, you know, 3-0 win yesterday away from home when Everton absolutely demise and get hit on the break against bottom of the table Wolves and lose 2-1 in his absolute turmoil now at Goodison Park. West Ham a goal up at at, uh, Arsenal. at Arsenal when they lose 3-1. I mean, this is, you know, West Ham last season were really, really good. They were in, um, they were in, the, the conference league which, which shows that this might be a one season's thing like it shows how fickle this league is but yeah, yeah I, I, there are a lot of teams struggling it doesn't feel like we're in that com- we've, we haven't been in that conversation and the weird thing is is my full himself this conversation is not easy I'm not enjoying this because I'm like we've, we've turned and I'm sure people have turned off the podcast because they're like those Fulhamish people getting carried away again <laughs> but like I speak to non-Fulham fans about this I when I went when I did that overlap thing with um, Neville and Carragher and I, and I said on it I said like you know I'm starting to think maybe we won't go down and they were like yeah of course you're not going down you idiot like they looked at me like I was stupid but well, I can't get that on my head Glass half empty mentality. I'm still the mentality is right. 18 more points and we're safe. Yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. When actually we're sitting eighth in the table above Chelsea and Brentford, you know, with Southampton on the horizon, with Leicester on the horizon. Who, by the way, yesterday were absolutely shocking. I'm thinking maybe we get another six points from the next two games. It's it's really really happy and it's like well, it's really really pleasing. And it could all change. You know, you can go three or four games about a win. And suddenly the table changes, and that's why I was very nervous looking at the table going into the World Cup. But to, to to come out of the blocks and, and get a three 0 win in the first win in the first game, sorry, um, gives that us fans that confidence. And I would still take seventeenth. I think every full and obviously, obviously we would, and um, we could be in a relegation battle. But at this current moment in time, Fulham are looking upwards, not downwards, and that is tremendously encouraging. So let's discuss uh, the New Year's Eve defeat to Southampton, who are bottom of the league uh, right (laughs) now. Um, I actually said to my in-laws yesterday, when they were talking about, um, you know, because I said I'm going to the Southampton game, and I said, by the way, if you want to make a quick 50 quid, lump on Southampton because this is too I'm too happy right now we're playing bottom of the league Southampton who look horrific and I'm like I can just see what's going to happen Stephen 
I mean, Southampton look shocking. I cannot get over this Nathan Jones decision. As much as I think Hassan Hootel kind of had to go and he'd run out of, he'd run out of road there. Nathan Jones, the last time he came to the cottage, he didn't have fun, did he? So, um, is, <laughs> could yeah, we, uh, I, I'm not expecting another 7-0, but, you know, I'm going into this game, Fulham are favourites comfortably, and they looked so out of sorts yesterday um, against against a, a very good Brighton team. Let's 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 be real here. Um, so leaky at the back. They have they are woeful defensively and have conceded the most goals in the Premier League in 2022, other than Leeds, which is not something to be proud of. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually disagree with the Ralph Hasenhutl uh, sacking. Uh, I think. A lot of the time you see these Premier League clubs and they've had a manager for a while and they get a bit bored because they're not in the top 10 or, or in the top half of the bottom of the table. So they just go, ah, let's mix up a bit. A bit with, I think, similar with Wolves as well. And I actually think with the squad they had, they weren't underachieving massively. And now I'm concerned for them. I don't think a new manager is going to turn it around. Everything going into this game is pointing towards a full of victory, which is why you're right. So, you know, put all your money on Southampton to win. Um, I think it's going to be an absolutely great game. And if it goes the way it looks like it should go, they're, they're coming up against the Fulham side in the form of their lives at home. And they're a shambles at the moment. And I would be really worried as a Southampton fan that they could be going into the new year, bottom of the table, and hopefully get stuffed like a Christmas turkey. Uh, and Mitro brags a brace, you know. I, I think I, oh, I don't like this. I feel confident, and I don't know how to. I don't know how to process this. I need to talk to my therapist. <laughs> I'm not feeling good about it at all. I mean, Dan, Southampton have gone with a very youthful um side this year and they've got some players that I think will come good but it does feel like one of those where they've gone a little bit too early on the old youth strategy they've still got some dangerous players I always think of Che Adams as on the pitch there's a goal I still I, I think he's a brilliant um forward player and I do think he's um he's dangerous we know that if you if Southampton get a uh free kick in your half then it's basically like they've got Johnny Wilkinson on the pitch um <laughs> he will find the top corner more often than not I mean, this is an important run of games for Southampton as well because they are bottom, but they have had a tough little run um, if, you know, before the World Cup. Um, but they've got they've got us away, then they've got Forest at home, um, they've got Everton, they've got Villa, they've got Brentford, they've got Wolves. So this is a really important run for Southampton, and I think that's possibly what they were looking at with the Nathan Jones factor. They probably saw these fixtures and thought, right, if we can get the new manager bounce, especially with the World Cup break, it's a smart move, actually. But I was shocked by Nathan Jones, who to me does not smack of any Premier League pedigree. Um, and yesterday, I thought it was post-match, he kind of was like, oh yeah, I've tried to instill some confidence and some belief, but they looked so short of belief yesterday. It was It was astonishing. Yeah, that's the tough thing with having a youthful squad as well, right? Like, you know, if this is your first full season in the Premier League and you're, you're bottom of the table, your manager who brought you in and told you all of his plans for you has gone, you bring in Nathan Jones, who I think seems like a pretty awful human being in general. He just, <laughs> he seems like the kind of manager when things are going badly will really tell you that things are going badly. And so 
you know, we saw what he did at Stoke where they were, I mean, they, they beat us. I remember that. And he absolutely went nuts when he beat us, but that was a terrible stint. He's proved himself well at Luton, but beyond that, he hasn't, which I think, you know, for me, I would be very worried as a, as a Southampton fan. I think when you're saying you say that they've got an ex, a relatively exciting sort of front line, like you look across the, their team and you've got a dozy, Gineppo, Elianusi, or Adam Armstrong coming off the bench, Che Adams. It's it's an exciting front line, but I think there's probably too many players who are sort of that sort of mercurial once every three games it will come off, and maybe less. But when you start to have four of those players in your front line, it, it's not always going to come off. And they're relying, I think, a little bit too much on, on, on youthful exuberance to get them through. And there's not enough sat behind it actually doing the dirty work. And we spoke before the pod about Gavin Bazunu, how we're not entirely sure that he's a, a Premier League quality keeper. So everything's set up quite nicely for us, yes, but it's not. I don't think it's going to be easy. Nathan Jones is he has a habit, barring that 7-0, of making things very awkward for Fulham. You know, we remember the times of going down to Kenilworth Road on that that tight pitch and they congest the midfield and they make it really awkward for you. They say he did the same with Stoke when we played them. So I don't think it's going to be a walkover, but it really is one that it feels like we could stamp our authority on and look to dictate the game like we did against Palace. And, you know, really make a mark. You know, another three points would be incredible. Six from the first two games back from the World Cup break and we've been in incredible position. Yeah, I was just going to say about Gavin Bazunu, like this is a player who was playing on loan at Man- um, from Manchester City at Portsmouth last season, a team that finished like 10th in League One last season. He was brilliant, don't get me wrong, and he's now, I think, Ireland's number one keeper, which is you know, great for him. But Yeah, but Jack Collins is number three, so let's not get carried away. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Um, you know, to make that step up from, you know, mid-table League One to... Premier League is is massive. He is a good keeper, but you know, yesterday for the first goal, made a mistake. Um, and yeah, Southampton right now, when they when they dropped Hasenhutl, brought in Nathan Jones. For me, obviously, it's ambitious. He's a young manager who's obviously got a Luton team into the playoffs. Luton that came from you know League One, League Two, League One into the playoffs. Remarkable. But the Premier League is a whole kettle, different kettle of fish. And it just, I just thought to myself. It feels like that's a manager that's come in preparing for a promotion charge for next season. Like Nathan Jones would be the perfect man to take Southampton back to the Premier League next season. Mm. And I just feel that maybe if they went for a little bit more Premier League experience as a manager, um, it's almost like they've reflected their youthful team with a youthful manager and they want this new project. We'll see what happens. I mean, Southampton are not gone by a long shot. You know, they're only uh, two points, you know, behind 17th um, we shall see it's a big game against Southampton one that you know, a lot of Fulham fans will be expecting to win but like you say Sammy you never know with, with football you do never know and I, I feel like it's going to feel a bit like last season again where you know we haven't gone we don't go into many games this year feel, being favourites I think mm. I can only think of the Bournemouth game where maybe we might have gone into that as slight favourites but Bournemouth were very good at that time mm. there's not many where you go in like okay Fulham are expected to win here and so it's a different pressure but we did have to cope with that pressure a lot last season so hopefully and, and fast starts were often the way to combat that last year and if I think if Fulham make a fast start against Southampton I'm going to be pretty confident it's always when you know Southampton got themselves an early goal 
if they had something to cling on to or if it stayed nil-nil for like, you know, well into the second half and they can smell blood, that's when I think it could get dangerous. And, you know, someone like Moose, like Gineppo, I've I've been a big fan of his. I mean, I've been waiting for him to come good on Fantasy Premier League for far too long of his Southampton career. <laughs> um, and and there's some good players in there. And, and list we forget, you know, James Ward-Prowse, who we know has has real quality and is on the border of the England squad. Um, it's him versus Harrison Reed, I think, at that moment for that kind of outside midfield place. So, you know, put one on him, Harrison. Um, but yeah, I, I, we'll see how it goes. I don't like the confidence, though. I'm, um, I'm extremely worried about it. So let's end the podcast there before we curse anything. Uh, let's get the podcast name. So, Dan, out of all the free world reviews, what was the one you would like to go for for today? I really did like Spook Longley's one, but I'm going to have to go with Colin Bugler with Fulham in Reamland. We've got a toast Tim Ream's first Premier League goal. It's only right. And 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 a, and a new contract. Yeah, it's all about Tim today. So um, yeah, thank you very much, Colin, for that uh, podcast name. And thank you very much for listening. Stephen Drake, thank you. A pleasure as always. Thanks, guys. Enjoy your Christmas. Jack Kelly, thank you. Thanks, Sammy. Um, how many turkey sandwiches have you had this Christmas, by the way? I, I forgot to ask. Ooh. Well, in terms of the Tesco sandwiches, M&S sandwiches, I've had quite a few. But in terms of since Christmas, I actually haven't had sandwiches as such. It's just been bowls of left bowls. I actually had leftovers in a bowl the other day, like a big bowl, which is slightly strange. I should have had a plate. But um, yeah, and tonight is uh, turkey curry at quiz karaoke Ooh. night at the Kelly household. So it's going to be absolute scenes. With or without toast? With or without toast. You've missed that, haven't you? The whole Twitter thing of that girl with the curry on oh, Christmas. I haven't seen. Oh, I, yeah, I did see a bit of that. Yeah. But yeah, no toast tonight. Um, and um, yeah, I always enjoy Jack Kelly's uh, sandwich stories. Um, he, he regularly posts uh, his uh, his turkey sandwich. Um, he, he is a great follow. Uh, and Dan Cook, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. It's so wonderful to be back. And I am also having a turkey curry for dinner. So there we go. Oh, wow bliss okay well thank you very much for listening today we will be back on new year's day um probably a little bit bleary eyed um but uh, i'm excited for new year's eve football i think new year's eve football is fantastic you know mm. watch the game go out celebrate the new year happy days so um if you're heading to the southampton game enjoy uh, if not, enjoy wherever you're watching around the world. And we will be back the day after reviewing everything that happens. Uh, loads of great Fulhamish content as well. If you uh, if you need more in your life, um, uh, Stephen, as mentioned, has done a vlog of the day. Uh, there was a quick take with Coops and Farrell. Uh, and there's loads of great reads as well on the Fulhamish website, including George Rossiter's player ratings. Still no one has got a 10. What does someone have to do um, for, for that magic 10 from George Rossiter? One day, Mitrovic will get seven goals and he might just get a 10 from George Rossiter. Uh, but until then, have a lovely rest of your Christmas period and see you in the new year. Happy New Year, everyone. Come on, you whites. Mm-hmm.